You are listening to the JCN Clinic Podcast. The JCN Clinic Podcast is a place where nutritionalists Jessica Cox and Carissa Mason get real about nutrition and living a healthy life. They share with you their passion and their clinical knowledge for a fun, no BS approach to looking after yourself. Please enjoy today's episode and don't forget to subscribe and iTunes. again and welcome to the JCN Clinic podcast show. Welcome guys. <laughs> I'm Jessica. I'm Carissa. And we are launching into part two of our Q&A. Yes we are. And we're going to try and get through the remainder. There's quite a lot. <laughs> Bloody heaps actually. Yep. So well, I've had a match so you've hopefully had a coffee. Bloody hours ago but I've oh, done, okay. a, <laughs> done a pretty crazy gym session so I think I'm still jacked from that. I was thinking we can just like talk really super fast and yeah. speed through them. <laughs> We won't be able to keep up. <laughs> so we did part one um, a fortnight ago. So if you haven't heard that, you can go back and listen. In saying that, it's not like you need to listen to yeah. that first. They're very much a scattering of questions that yeah. you guys have been throwing at us. Yeah, and we have been absolutely inundated with yeah. questions. So hopefully we've remembered between our um, email. I'm just looking at that, what is that? It's an email. <laughs> Between our emails, our Instagrams, our Facebooks, I think we've, yeah, we've just kind of had stuff mm-hmm. coming from all angles. So I think we've remembered between us to write everything down, flag everything, and yep. hopefully we bloody cover them all. So, yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, let's jump in. So we had one about how to get enough calcium with a dairy-free diet and do you need to supplement? Ooh, I actually answered this in an email for someone yesterday too. Did you? Very, it's a pretty common one, isn't yeah, it, it is for a pretty us? common one. Mm. Look, um, I, don't, I personally think if you're eating a well-balanced diet that without dairy you definitely can get enough calcium. It's just being very aware of um, your, your alternate calcium sources. Yeah. So ideally they say um, women need about 1,000 milligrams about say a thousand I use <laughs> get your measurements get your measurements right girly um yeah um you know per day so that's women like middle-aged women I think it's a bit different as you get older and a bit different as you get younger but I just normally aim for a th- like say a thousand. thousand's good ballpark yeah so calcium rich sources shall we start there's knocking so them? There's many so bloody many look at such a again I don't want to get like pull down rabbit holes but I think yeah. that the dairy industry's done a bloody good job haven't they yeah. just really putting dairy out there is like the ultimate the source. Only source and, and even within the dairy family you know like there's cow's milk products as opposed to the goat and sheep based yeah. options which have close to double the amount of calcium mm. which is something that is never mentioned yeah. and even when you look at the amount of calcium in like milk or yogurt or anything like that like yeah it's, it's a good whack of calcium yeah. but when we when you compare it to other food products so are they yeah it's still an option so Look, some of the let's biggies. go. Let's go one for one. Okay, yeah, you start. <laughs> Tag. Tag. You start. Your well, favorite. I'm gonna start with my favorite sardines. Oh, you didn't think no, I was gonna say that, no, did you? actually, because my my next first one was gonna be like salmon with the bones. In. Oh, well, same, yeah, same, same, really. Same, yeah. So if you if you're sourcing fish or tin fish, obviously. Um, yeah, if you, like, it really pisses me off when you see all the salmon cans, like, because I'm mm. obviously, we all know I'm like a cat and I live on tin fish, <laughs> but it's all like skinless and boneless. I'm like, you're taking out the best freaking bitch, you dickheads. <laughs> <laughs> but so honestly, like if you want to really just optimize what you're getting out of that fish on top of omega-3 or, you know, DHA and EPA, mm-hmm. then get your, get your salmon or your tuna mm-hmm. with the bones because they are jacked and same with your sardines same with your herring mm-hmm. um all it that, up, all that other bait fish that people like to 
we get <laughs> we get told about how important calcium is for our bones. So if we eat the bones, we yeah. get the calcium. Yes, it's it's that simple. Yeah, that simple. and I know people freak out a bit about it, but just mash it up. Like oh, get your fork I don't even in there freak and just mash them. A yeah. lot of people. You must have clients though that just yeah. freak out. I actually about really it. enjoy chewing on yeah. the spine of a fish. <laughs> so I'm sick when I like crunch it between my teeth. When I used to work down at <laughs> such a um, sicko. professional therapist with Lynn and mm. Mandy. Mandy was mental for bones. Like she would literally get a chicken, I don't know, like a drumstick, right? Mm. So she'd eat the chicken off and then she would eat the drumstick. Like don't the actual bone? Yeah, she would eat Chew the bones. through it. Yep. What a bloody legend. No. She's got like Viking in her. <laughs> I know, I reckon. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, so the other, other, okay, let's keep going. So tahini is a biggie, sesame mm. seeds. Mm-hmm. They have quite a lot. Mm. Um then there's things like good old almonds. Oh, I think a lot of people. Here. Oh, like, you're just taking over. Okay, done. All right. No, I kind no, of squeeze no, you keep in. going with your nuts and seeds. I've got to keep going with your nuts and seeds, and then I'll actually pick a whole different food group. So <laughs> well, they're the main. They're the main two, really. So yeah. it's the sesame seeds and the almonds. Oh, hang on, hang on. Chia seeds. Chia seeds. How could I forget yeah, chia? Okay. Chia is super high in calcium. I did not super, know that super, one. super high. So know. you know, integrating like really lovely tahini dressings into your day, chia puddings or using chia in baking. Um, they're biggies that I always go for, particularly for people who are on like more of a vegan type diet. So this is going to lead into my one because remember how I remember um, how Paige gave me that recipe for um, the oven baked falafels that I was reading. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I made them the other mm-hmm. night. So this leads into my next source of calcium, which is legumes. Yeah. So obviously like the cannellini beans, chickpeas, yep. all of that jazz. Yeah. Great sources of calcium. Yeah. However, last night, so you're going to, I literally made a whole batch of them and have smashed a whole batch of them in less than 12 <laughs> hours of these, <laughs> these oven baked falafels. So done that. But guess what? I was just last night just dolloping on top of them. Tahini. Tahini. Yeah. Look at the little calcium go. Calcium girl <laughs> <Exactly>. go. <laughs> so, yeah. So legumes are a great source, particularly, I think, what's the highest one? It is cannellini. Is it cannellini? Uh, well, I would have said soy, actually. Oh, yeah. Soy. I was yeah, going to say soy yeah. is a separate topic, but it is a legume. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, particularly depending on how soy is done. I know you can actually get it where it's done in, oh, can I remember if this off the top of my head? It's like some sort of like calcium sulfate it, I think it's calcium sulfate like it's a when they're using the solutions that they use to set the tofu there's one that's actually done in that so you can imagine obviously that jacks it up quite high too yeah right yeah I just wouldn't know because can't eat it <laughs> true hey, you, know you just like put that one off the radar you know what's going to be interesting is this um I said to Michelle this dinner that we're going to on Friday right. night at Wild yep. Canary the producers thing and then yep. I think I said to you there's a seems to be a lot of folks I haven't seen the menu yet mm-hmm. but there seems to be a lot of focus on miso and soy throughout it. Yeah, right. So there's a good chance I'm going to be carried out with an EpiPen, but I'm going to give it a crack. crack. Michelle's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, well, we'll just see what happens as the night goes on. (laughs) So on the website, I actually have a full blog post on this, um, and there's an information sheet too. So you can go to the blog and search for – dairy-free alternatives for calcium i'll put it into the show notes and there's a little info sheet for memory i think it's like two dollars fifty to purchase mm-hmm. and it's it's quite lengthy it has a lot of information about how much you need depending on what bracket you fall into the types of foods so i would recommend going there mm-hmm. and the other part of this question was do you need to supplement so if you're being wise about what we we're just talking about mm-hmm. and having those foods regularly mm-hmm. in your diet and mm-hmm. daily then i would say no definitely no. not but if you 
have the diet where you don't like a lot of the foods that we've talked about or we you're intolerant. We've got leafy greens, man. Ah, uh, vegetables. <laughs> vegetables. <laughs> Who needs them? <laughs> the brassicas, guys, jam-packed with calcium. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot more. There's more. We haven't yeah. talked about all of them. I Even figs. I love figs for it. But we'll mm. keep talking forever on this one topic. We won't get anywhere. So I think you need to supplement <laughs> If you we don't won't get anywhere, shit, shut up. <laughs> exactly. But you, you've had people. I've had people like you know, classic case, maybe vegan, intolerant to nuts. Like you know, you put a few things like that together, and their calcium sources go down pretty quickly. Yeah. So that might be somewhere where we may consider supplementation, right? Absolutely. Cool. Tick next. Tick next. All right. <laughs> oh Grains, God. Gra- I feel like we're just like <laughs> keep up, guys. We should put a little warning at the start of this podcast, have a coffee or a matcha before you listen so you're on the same bloody wavelength we are. What about that listener, I'm sorry, I can't remember your lovely name, who um, sent an email or a DM and she said that she knows we're always really fast, but particularly you. She's like, Krista talks so fast. And then one day she was listening and she was like, oh my God, has she had like 10 coffees? And she realised that she'd accidentally put it on fast forward, forward, like on one and a half. So she actually had us in fast forward. Could you imagine? That's terrifying. Oh, my goodness. I I actually don't know. Yeah, I'm so good at talking quick, but I don't know how many people, yeah, I get pulled up. I've been pulled up on it my whole life. One of my best girlfriends, when her and I get together, I swear to God, it's just like, yeah, it would be in like fast forward. Anyway, next question. Moving on. Grains, legumes, in inverted commas, anti-nutrients, confused. Um, as Sorry, a, that's my nose. <laughs> your nose. Confused as appears to be, as they're a bit, uh, appears to be real benefits of eating them um, as because they both contain complex carbs and legumes. Like, I probably should read these questions because they're on my shorthand. I know, I haven't even looked at them. I'm trying to read out Jess's chicken scratch. So oh grains, my grains and legumes being referred to as anti-nutrients. So this person was confused mm-hmm. because there appears to be a lot of Benefits for eating them Which as complex carbs um, go and legumes, but then there's this other side of the fence, which is where there's this whole concept of like anti nutrients. Mm. So, this is a big topic, and we should do it a podcast <sighs> about it. But in a nutshell, Chris is going <laughs> to sum it up. The benefit outweighs the risk. Swearing. Yeah, without swearing, <laughs> the benefit outweighs the risk. Yes, grains and legumes contain things called phytates and lignans, and they are they're just a defense mechanism of the plant, basically. Mm-hmm. So, around this on the seed or the um, grain or whatever, whatever it is, they do contain these things called anti nutrient or what are considered anti nutrient. Nutrients. There are specific um, soaking techniques and mm-hmm. stuff like that if you want to reduce how they sort of, I guess, interact. So for people that have super sensitive like GITs or they really react to these sorts of foods um, or you are just A, concerned about them, you can, you know, pre-soak um, apple cider mm-hmm. vinegar or salt. I always forget which one is which. Jess is great at this. I have to get tell her to email it to you every time because <laughs> I bloody forget. But there are ways of kind of like, you know, essentially deactivating these phytates and mm-hmm. lignans. Um, honestly, I've done so much research into this mm. and I've actually written a really good article on it. But the Where's ben- the article? Um, on the Pharmaceutical Society thing. We'll link it in. Yeah, we'll link it in. Yeah. Yeah, we can do it. It's on my website anyway. Um, but just breaking down, obviously looking at vegan, like it was more based on a vegan mm. diet, but how much obviously of the zinc and all the other nutrients that are mm. in these sorts of things do they actually get? Mm. And from what I can see in the research and going through quite a bit of it, the benefit still outweighs the oh, risk yeah. 100%. 
supplement. Like there's yeah. there's so many like minerals and vitamins and good fats and mm-hmm. complex carbs yeah. <laughs> in, in like, you know, nuts, seeds, legumes and grains yeah. that honestly it's more about I think boosting your di- or supporting mm. your digestive capacity to deal with these yeah. things. And if you're not dealing with them, then probably looking at why. Yeah. Well, that's the big thing here, isn't mm. it? Like if people aren't dealing with those foods and they feel they need to buy activated mm. nuts and seeds or activate them or do the legume process of activation or they can't even touch legumes, we need to look at what's going on. There's usually a gut issue. Mm. And most of the time, I know with some of my clients that I do use a bit of this process with, they have extreme gut inflammation, extreme yeah. dysbiosis. And the concept there is to actually fix their gut. It's actually mm. a sign that there are gut-based issues. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I think is really interesting is that it's one of those areas where these foods have just been picked as being really bad but like all food to a point has some form of natural little poisons um which are exactly that like a defense mechanism Mm -hmm. so you know these phytates and these lectins and so forth they're there for a reason Mm. to try and protect these seeds you know to to keep them sort of safe and get them ready for germination at the right time but Mm. then vegetables and fruits and all plant-based food has some form of whether it's even things like things salicylates and oxalates all these natural chemicals which again we see in clinic being problematic for people with extreme gut issues so it's not like you know all salicylates are bad foods Mm. and we shouldn't eat them or oxalates and so forth so you've got to look at it in context if you have if legumes are a massive issue for you you need to get that issue sorted so you can enjoy the benefits Mm. because these foods are fundamentally so important for you and we're going to be doing upcoming podcasts on the benefits of these fibrous types of grains and legumes Mm. Um, in relation to gut testing and yeah, so forth. because they're your prebiotics, guys. Like I yeah. know that, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of the veggies and starchy veggies and moderate to higher FODMAP, fat, FODMAP veggies. Oh, my God. <laughs> Can't get it out. Um, that also have prebiotic qualities, but our grains and our legumes are amazing sources of prebiotics. Mm. So we will leave that at that, but we could do a whole podcast yeah. on it and we'll follow yeah. that up further. But... <laughs> The only last little thing I'll say, if like you are listening and you're like, but I need to do it, it makes me feel better. Then we're not saying don't and then like, you know, feel, do you know what I mean? Like if someone's listening, they're like, but I need to use activated grains and um, legumes and so forth because it's working for me, then by all means do it. But please don't just do that forever um, without any guidance. Go and seek help to figure out what's going on with your gut because it's a sign. And if you're you're not eating these food groups, like Mm. all grains and all legumes because you're so reactive to them, then that's a sign as well. Don't pull them and then pull them forever based on your reactivity. You say, oh, those foods don't agree with me. There's something deeper going on at a gut level if you're reacting to every single legume and every single grain. Yeah, for sure. Boom. Next. So this is sort of a big tangent. There was one about how did I start the clinic. I'm going to link a blog post in that I did. Actually, there's a blog post and there's a video both on the website that cover this in depth. So I do get hit up a lot about that, but just go there and it'll give you everything that you need. So that's a nice quick and easy one. Let's come to the next one. Oh, this isn't as easy. Um, So this lovely listener wanted some advice for thyroid health and estrogen dominance after the (laughs) pill. This is like my topic. (laughs) 
which is a big one. Um, and mm. I'll yeah, I'll let Carissa talk about this one because yeah, Sm- she froths at the mouth about this topic. <laughs> we do have some episodes though, yeah. um, episode thirty and episode eight, which mm-hmm. you can go back and listen to yeah. that delve into this area. Yeah. So basically, first we want to um, actually identify, you know, that this actually is what's going on coming off the pill. So most people that are on the pill are typically on an estrogen-based pill or a combination of estrogen and progesterone. More than likely, they're estrogen-based. Um, so that does contribute to estrogen dominance, yes. more. You probably want to look at the reasons for why you are put on the pill in the first place. Um, did you have potentially an estrogen-dominant condition going on and the pill, you were popped on the pill to manage it? So we're looking at things like endometriosis, fibroids, um, really heavy, clotty, painful periods, or are you now presenting as being symptomatic or symptomatically looking like you're estrogen-dominant coming off the pill? Mm-hmm. So... Estrogen dominance is a pretty pretty big ballpark and there's so many varying degrees of estrogen dominance. So some of the conditions that I mentioned before or are you just naturally more, you know, you produce more estrogen or backlog more estrogen in your clearance process due to genetic variants, not metabolol pushing it through properly. So <clears throat> it's a pretty big area. So it's not something that you can just go, oh, I'm estrogen dominant and there's one set of treatment for that. Mm. It's working out why you're estrogen dominant. Um, is there genetics at play? Um, is it environmental exposure to things? Is it an accumulation of being on an estrogen-based pill? Is it stress? Mm. Is it all of the above? So mm. that's where I feel like testing is really important so true. because mm. how you treat the type of estrogen dominance is so different depending mm. on what's actually going on mm. for the person and how this affects your thyroid also varies as well. So obviously most women in my experience or from what I see that come into the clinic and I do get a bloody lot of them you do. <laughs> it seems to be my little area um, as soon as we have some form of you know estrogen dominant condition as a bit of a default the thyroid is affected so whether or not the thyroid came first or the estrogen came first that's a bit of a chicken and egg scenario but usually they are both affected together. So what we'll tend to see, and I've read a fair bit of information too about, you know, when estrogen is in this more dominant slash toxic state, it will actually impact how the thyroid behaves. So we're starting to look at, you know, more a hypothyroid um, predisposition or subclinical. I also see it also slip into autoimmune thyroid. Um, Yeah, so it's a bit of a treating both of them at the same time, supporting the thyroid, working out what's going on with estrogen. The Dutch test, I know we've talked about this in so many podcasts, but it's just effing fabulous for working out what's going on with estrogen. And it's not just about treating the estrogen. It's about treating the liver. I always say to my clients, until your gut is right, there is no point in starting to mobilize estrogen out of fat cells. And trying to clear it because it has to pass through the gut. Um, it's a pretty big area. It really is, isn't it? Draw a breath, Carissa. But I love it. <laughs> so if you feel like that's you, just come and see me because one of my favourite right. bloody things to deal with. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big area. So definitely coming off the pill, you need yep. gut support, liver support. You want to know what your B vitamins are doing. You want to know what your phase two is, phase two liver is doing. You want to know what side of estrogen mm. dominance you're sitting in. And you want to know if you're in an autoimmune thyroid or just mm. subclinical hyper hypothyroidism yeah and (laughs) really you know just total nutshell and i think the other thing definitely you've highlighted there is importance of testing like trying Mm to all those areas you just talked about are so vital Mm -hmm. and trying to cover all of those without the testing is really really hard because you're going at it blindly but with the testing you can really Mm. look and break it down go okay this is where you're at your body's doing this as opposed to like well i could be doing this and it could be doing that so 
and, and also, yeah, like quite often estrogen dominance can go hand in hand with androgen dominance as yeah, well. True, so there's also true, true. that whole, there's, knowing that is also yeah. important. Well, yeah, because people will like perhaps even this listener who said estrogen dominance post dominance post pill, mm. like, you know, she may have been tested, but she may not. It might just be something that she's like, mm. oh, it must be that. Yeah. Whereas often as we have seen, you know, you think it could be one thing, but mm. you do something like a Dutch test and mm. it's actually not. I have had women, and I'm not kidding, that I would mm. swear are estrogen dominant and yep. do their test and they come back androgen dominant. Yep. But classically they're presenting the same symptoms. They're getting heavy periods, yep. sometimes maybe a bit more irregular, but coming off the pill that's always going to be yep. a potential. Yeah. Um, they're carrying the weight in the classic estrogen dominant areas yeah. or they're struggling to lose it um, so they've obviously got that thyroid and then it's yeah working how much of, the, of this is actually a thyroid yeah. issue and maybe not an estrogen yeah. dominant issue so yeah. yeah can't recommend testing enough for yeah. hormones yeah for sure love it <laughs> everyone needs to do a Dutch test <laughs> FYI <laughs> just thought I'd shamelessly plug that. <laughs> <laughs> but go back and listen to episode 30 and episode 8 for more info yeah. on all the hormonal stuff. So this one's a goodie, how to counteract gassiness. This listener did say, obviously, they understand that the gassiness is often a sign of an underlying issue, but they wanted to know how to perhaps deal with that in the interim. <laughs> so besides, like, running from the room yeah. <laughs> and expelling it somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, there's some there's some interesting ones around. Um, <laughs> thinking of Emma's way. I was literally I thinking know. of the same thing. I'm like, are we allowed to shame her on this podcast? Oh, no. <laughs> I feel like she might kill us. Emma knows what we're talking about. She has her own technique. <laughs> em, if you want to share it, maybe you could put it in your Insta <laughs> feed. <laughs> maybe not with a picture. <laughs> no, with a picture. <laughs> the picture makes it all. Oh, yeah, it's a goodie. We can basically um, just say Emma has a fart pose. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's incorporating the concept of yoga. Yoga. Realistically. <laughs> which is great, right? Expel it. Yeah. And there's, which is similar to doing physical like manipulation, like actually yeah. using your own hands and going clockwise around your abdomen. So rubbing just well, not super gently, but not super, super hard. Just a nice firm sort of rub doing it while I'm thinking about it, going around in circles. So that can help. Or even like a really light massage just going around the abdomen, like just mm-hmm. to get the gas moving. Um, <coughs> sometimes it can be that yucky sort of trap gas. Um, other times it can just be there's no problems in getting it out. Mm. It's just that it, you can't, you know, stop. Yeah. So there's things like charcoal. I'm not a massive fan of using that long term, but I have found that useful for some people. Mm. Um, I have given it to Damien, <laughs> that is for sure, after he's like had way too many foods that he can't handle. So I know that it works. Mm. Um, there was something else I was just going to say that totally just went chung besides charcoal. What was it? What was it? What was it? Um, there's certain, no, it's not coming to me, but then there would be certain types. It's starting to slightly err on treatment, but there's certain types of probiotics that might help. Um, oh, that's what I was going to say. I was thinking more about the food factor. So if the gas is a sign of things being imbalanced Mm. in the interim, what you can do is look at the types of foods that cause more gas and not cut them out. This is going back to what we're talking about before with the grains and the legumes, but this might be a time where um, it may be beneficial for you. If you do have a lot of legumes to do a soak, 
fat. Oh, you Chris is holding up her fingers and going, they look fat. What? They look like they're just like swollen. Anyway. Must be estrogen dominance. Must be. Too much gym work, I think. But the way you can actually put a little bit more preparation into some of those foods that can create a little bit more gas. So the legumes are something that I would get someone initially if they were fitting into that category and were waiting on some test results and so forth, I might get them to soak them overnight in water with a little bit of salt to help start to break down those starches and then boil them up and have them um, that way. And that can help. So there can be some sort of little preparation things Mm. you can do too. Can you think of any other majors besides that? No, I think you've covered it. My, like, honestly, I would just be like, if it is like, like if it's just ongoing, like see a practitioner because yeah. like we're not going to sit here on the podcast and give you a list of food groups that are potentially going to yeah. cause gas because people listening is going to go, oh, I'm just going to go away and pull all of those yeah, food groups. Exactly. And that's not the answer. Like you, you need to work out A, why you're reacting to those food groups, mm. B, what's going on in your gut, yeah. fix it, reintroduce those food groups and mm. work out A, what's actually problematic and causing the gas because yeah. there's different types of gas as well. Yeah. There's like that internal gut blows up and there's all the pain, but mm. it's just air mm-hmm. And then there's actually like that sulfur smelling feral mm-hmm. gas. So yeah, and they all mean different. They things. all mean different things. Yeah, sweet. Um, oh, this sort of flows into the other one. We had someone asking about our thoughts on long term use of the marina. No, <laughs> <laughs> this person's had the marina for five years. Um, I'm actually- I don't know if she means. So I wrote down no period. I don't know if that means she's come off the marina, yeah. or she means she's still on it and, and she hasn't period. had a period for five years, which was a think what she was implying because i know some people with marina can get that breakthrough bleeding still um she was 39 years old so can i just literally drop another podcast into this like literally i feel like if anyone like jess and i have spoken endlessly about our thoughts on contraception um you know hormone based contraception Mm. but i listened to an and it just really backs up the race the most current research on contraception at the moment including the marina because it's progesterone based i feel like it gets a little bit of a olive leaf branch because it's progesterone Mm. based as opposed Mm. to estrogen base Mm. um look the atp guys have done a podcast and it's called a better pill to swallow and it's Mm. all about the current research on the ocp to date Mm. the marina the implanon just basically talking about i think they're talking with um i think what's her name sam is it sam i can't remember she's on a Mm. few of their podcasts she's pretty cool i like her i think i think we get along well (laughs) Just in case you're listening. (laughs) But anyway, so they've done a podcast talking just about that. And honestly, the the rate, like, yeah, I'm not going to bag it too much because I know a lot of my clients are on it and it is a case-by-case basis when we talk about it and the reasoning behind it. But... It's yeah, the long the long term implications of being on it are not great. Mm, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. In terms of weight gain, potentiations for certain types of cancers mm. or putting you at greater risk for certain types of cancers, and that's the marina, the copper coil, in which has no hormones and mm-hmm. still carries its own set of risks, um, and all of the oral contraceptive pills and that bloody thing they jam in your arm. <laughs> <laughs> Which it's we hate term. even more than everything else. <laughs> so, yeah, again, go. That's, that's awesome, um, yeah. that podcast. I'm sure it's called a better pill to swallow. But honestly, I was just listening to it going, 
Like if this is the if this is the research stats at the yeah. moment and GPs just hand these things out yeah. like lollies to young yeah. girls without looking at their mental I know we've talked about this, but their mental health predisposition, yeah. their genetic genetic predisposition, mm-hmm. their oh anyway. But yeah, that podcast and those ones we mentioned before, episode thirty and eight, we've yeah. delved in there before, so we won't totally rehash everything. Because yeah. we all know we could speak for hours about That's it. it. Alright, so we have um, some goodies here so this is we actually of, covered yeah, that in the, yeah we yeah. did hey yeah we've talked about intermittent fasting um these are just some quick, quick fun ones yeah these are actually so we this this lady wanted to know our thoughts. i don't think she'll mind if we say thanks jackie for these ones oh, okay <laughs> yeah. thanks, jackie. thanks jackie jackie sent through <laughs> a list of some goodies yeah so our thoughts on medicinal mushrooms activated charcoal bentonite clay and diatomaceous earth <laughs> <laughs> what did you say before i can't say it no i'm not even gonna try <laughs> I always struggle with it. <laughs> struggle with everything. <laughs> she wrote, what TF? What TF? WTF is this gear and should I be using it? Oh. Um, okay. We just mentioned activated charcoal. Yeah. So, look, it can be beneficial as a bit of symptom control, but I don't personally like people using that ongoingly. There, obviously, it was being used in hospital settings to help with all sorts of soaking up of toxins, toxins. but there is also a lot of literature around its ability to also bind onto other minerals. Mm. So using it all the time and adding it every day into your smoothies is not really ideal. No. Um, so use it sparingly if you're going to be diving in and, mm. and using it for the things we're talking about. But other than that, I don't think it warrants being a regular use. Medicinal mushrooms, I bloody love them. I could mm. talk about I think we should do a whole podcast yeah, on maybe this. Yeah, we should because it's not yeah. an area I know. Like obviously yeah. I use them in the clinic, but I wouldn't say like I'm up to date on all the research with yeah. them. I think it's a really exciting and emerging new area. Yeah. I'm yeah. excited to see what comes out about the specific types of mushrooms. Yeah. I do love that this is kind of like ancient medicine yes. coming through into the mainstream yeah. world. Definitely. So uh, that always excites me. And, I, it's, and it's food as medicine. Yeah, yeah that's what I love about yeah. it. But I do yeah. think it's important that it's like – a lot of the things we sometimes mention, it's like an adjunct to a healthy yeah. foundation. So I don't think people should feel like they have to have them to be healthy. No. They're an add-on. Like an I add-on. love them. I love the flavor. And I mainly use the powders. And then I do love, <laughs> obviously I love all the, um, like the different mushrooms you can use yeah. and add into your food. But you know, what are you laughing at? I'm just at? dying my... to tell you my first story of adding them to a coffee. Like just I feel like Michelle might have She told probably me. did because yeah. Michelle was there the day yeah. I did it. And yeah. I was like, I was just like spooning it in like, <laughs> like you know, like I would anything, excessive amounts, like yeah. no half measures. And I'm drinking this thing and I'm like, this is effing vile. <laughs> and I'm like, what is the rage with all of it? It was, it was the Mason's mushrooms, yeah. that big bag we've got down there. I'm like, what is the, I'm like, Jess loves the flavor of this. I'm like, but she does like matcha, so that's it. <laughs> and I was like, how much did you put in? I'm like, oh, a good tablespoon and a bit oh. or something. And she was just like, <laughs> and I'm like, taste. And she had a sip. She's like, oh, Carissa, too much. <laughs> too much. <laughs> to go and dim it out. Yeah, I had that Mason's, I had about a quarter to a third of a teaspoon oh, into my mate, matcha. I reckon that's two tablespoons. I can do, I mean, I love Mason's mushroom, just a teaspoon of that as a, like a latte on its own, I would yeah. drink it. Yeah, but nice. like... But, I mean, you've got – there's so many different ones, right? Like yeah. we – the main ones we use in clinic would be like your reishis and your shiitakes, which have got a lot of research mm-hmm. around their um, capabilities to help with the immune system. Mm-hmm. Um, we use them for overall immunity and particularly gut-based immunity. But 
you know, same, same. You don't have to be using these every day if you, if you don't want to. Like they're yeah. an add-on. Please send them as an add-on. But I think what we'll do is – You're we'll, not going to get sick and die if you're not having – No, exactly. Like, point. Like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it might be an area that we'll investigate further and we yeah. might even see if we can get good old Mason or someone like that to yeah. come on and chat about them because someone who's not, got a lot of passion about them or yeah. maybe – My friend. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 little, true. yeah. true. True, yeah. true. That's it. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the bentonite clays and so forth. Um, I'll let you take those. Yeah, oh. I've got the same face. Yeah, oh, really? Yeah. We've just and I both fallen the same face yeah. at each other. Look, probably, again, similar to activated charcoal. Like, mm. yeah, there's probably some benefits. Are they going to fix everything we got? Probably not. Um, are they a good little added? I, I'll just I, – this is what how I explain these things to my clients – added extras yeah like if you're if you want or boosters and i think we did a podcast mm, on this did. way back in yep. the day like these things are great yes there's health promoting benefits mm. is there crap tons of research not really mm-hmm. like maybe some yes some no but are they gonna outweigh a, a crap diet and mm. um a sedentary lifestyle absolutely not like yep. they're not they're not magic yeah um they're just a, a, a booster or an added extra to throw on top of a really healthy well-balanced diet yep. a healthy functioning body and a good exercise they're addressing, routine they're they're addressing. it's like we always talk about the house and the foundations mm. we talk about our whole food and our macros they're like the mm. pretty curtains that yeah. you might choose to hang up instead yeah. of the crappy ones that yeah. you got from <laughs> <laughs> ikea ikea curtains <laughs> i'm trying to think of a good brand of curtains and i wouldn't even know because ikea know. is like the best i've got <laughs> uh digestive enzymes if my gut Woo! is working well should i be taking these Ooh. or what about glutamine Whoa. so digestive enzymes both of these uh, we do use quite heavily in the clinic, but again, yeah. we're using them under the guise of case taking oh. and knowing what someone needs, um, testing. test results. Digestive enzymes often um, may make people feel better, like they're, of course, helping with that absorption process. So if people are having issues, it can be something that they'll utilize to sort of take away, whether it be like sometimes quite commonly bloating or mm. um, sort of cramping that they may experience after eating but it falls into the same category of a lot of these if you feel like you need them and if you don't have them you're in trouble and you're not investigating that then you're just going to get into that vicious cycle where whatever the problem is is still going on and the enzymes probably eventually are going to stop helping anyway so you need to realistically investigate it and see what is going on underneath. They are wonderful when used at the right time. Yeah. And we do use them to support digestion. We also use them for other things outside of just digestion, Mm. depending on when we have clients take them. Mm. Do you have anything to add to that? No, we don't know proteolytic road. Yeah, but I kind of was like, I'm not going to... Pull the the reins back Yeah, I did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Glutamine, again, like great for the gut, great for the gut lining. Um, definitely like, so the ones, things we're talking about before, like the activated charcoal, the bentonite clay, diatomaceous earth, like they're all boosters. Yeah. Enzymes and glutamine are actually things that we use therapeutically. So yes. there's research with this stuff. There's mm-hmm. reasons we're using it. Um, there's actual benefits mm-hmm. that, you know, are clinically relevant. Um, so it's a bit of a different ballpark, but again, you know, you don't, it's using them in the right context at the right time mm-hmm. for the right duration of time. Do you need to be on glutamine for the rest of your life? You got Bloody hope not. Yeah. Um, do you need to be on enzymes forever? 
you shouldn't be. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Thanks. Celery <laughs> juice. Oh my god. <laughs> just it's just everywhere, it's isn't everywhere. it? How many questions have you had already Heaps. about this? I've, got, I've actually got quite a few clients doing it. Um, yeah, look, I think it honestly, like celery has some amazing qualities. The thing that's pissing so me. So does an apple. So does a bloody apple. <laughs> Look, I think it's great. It's got a really high in silica, which I think is amazing for the skin. The fact that you're losing all the fiber out of it when you make mm-hmm. a juice kind of annoys me a bit. But anyway, the thing that I'm finding amazing, right, about celery juice, not amazing, but I just feel there's a real conflict of interest, is mm-hmm. that all of a sudden every cafe has jumped on the bloody celery juice oh, bandwagon. I oh, I have. And they're all selling bloody celery juice, but they're all buying it from bloody coals. I'm sure of it. <laughs> So it's all jacked with pesticides. So here's your celery juice and a whole shit ton of glycophosphate. Enjoy that. (laughs) You're having celery juice, guys, and you're drinking it every day in these concentrated amounts. There are going to be health benefits to it. Source organic would be my, you know, if you're drinking it by the bottle, bottle, bottle. Yeah. And um, it does. Yeah. <laughs> is that really harsh? <laughs> but I just makes it. Like... You guys got really angry and really loud. <laughs> like she's, she's hit it. No, oh, it's just it just cracks me up. I just love how everyone. Yeah, it's just it's more the bandwagon. Yeah, it's a bad. Like it's got like you said, there's benefits yeah. to it. Yeah, they're really you know the silica. It's I think people also. I always think of celery and its diuretic effects, and yeah. um, also the fact that it's quite good for the kidney. So there's that. There's that element of I think people really um, enjoying knowing that they're doing something from a detoxifying point of view. Like fabulous, but it's not the only wonderful food. So I would encourage people if they want the benefits of celery um, and juicing celery, then use it, but use it in combination with yeah. other vegetables and potential celery and ginger like, and apple. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> and remember, beetroot. I'm sure it was who was it? I think it was Shan from My Food Religion. I saw her doing a little Insta thing on celery juice and she was going about the same thing. She's like, here's my celery, but here's my X, Y, and Z of all the other things I'm adding in. You know, like get in the properties of beetroot, get in the properties of some carrots or some other, and then ginger and turmeric and change them up day to day. And, you know, you can't just have one food all the time and it's a miracle food. I feel like celery is the rhubarb of the 2000s. You remember how, like, in the 90s, Jennifer Aniston was, like, rhubarb juice in the morning? And it was just, like, everyone, their rhubarb sales went through the roof, which is great because I feel like people have forgotten about rhubarb. It's such (laughs) an oldie generation thing. Jennifer Aniston revamped it. (laughs) But, you know, now it's, like, rhubarb's forgotten about again. It's lovely, but it won't solve world peace well yeah. won't bring us world peace yeah. and there's benefits to it a hundred percent guys but it is it's just about putting it in the context of everything else you're doing it's a yep. booster it's a def- booster it's a, remember it's the pretty curtains yeah yeah and it's not big like having a crack at people trying to do the right things for their health like it's you know do amazing things for your health but again yeah if you're drinking celery juice in the morning but eating a rubbish diet it's Mm. not going to override that but if you're adding celery juice in the morning and eating a really Mm. nice whole food clean diet and exercising yes yeah awesome you're just you're just ticking another box for your health yeah colonics oh god should we be having these occasionally help clear out nasties in our gut if we are eating right or is it not necessary i really oh careful jessica yeah, i've had I look i've had <laughs> <laughs> why i just you I, know. Know. I just bloody had a rant about glycophosphate <laughs> look so. i've had i've had a couple i've had clients over the years that 
have felt benefits around these, but I, I don't know. I would still question. I that, just think I honestly, what else is going on. But I feel like colonics are just a band aid. They really flush are. Some shit they out. fall into some of these other areas that we've had. We flush some shit out. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> like, literally, it's just like it's if, just like a quick fix solution. You've got all yeah. of this chaos going on within your gut like mm. dysbiosis inflammation all the things yeah. we talk about all the time so of course if you can get particularly people who go for clients usually sluggish and constipated yeah. so of course they feel better when they flush that all out and mm. they feel like they've got, got that flat tummy and they feel and, less toxic and the people about... doing the colonics often like oh i can see this and that like i feel like there's this psychosomatic thing with it too, I where feel... this person's like yes all the badness is coming out of i you. feel like and i don't <laughs> Again, I'm going to be really careful what I say here, but I feel like there's a lot of miseducation mm. being fed to consumers from the people giving the colonics. Mm. So, for example, I've had a, a very large amount of my clients that have come to me after having colonics mm. and then they actually want to sort their gut out because colonics mm. are bloody expensive as well, right? right. Um, and they're like, no, but, you know, my... my about to say something that's really inappropriate. My person that removes my poo. <laughs> that's not what I was going to say. Anyway, the person doing the colonic has just said, no, you can do these every week and you just take a probiotic and it's fine. Oh. That freaking infuriates yeah. me because here is someone who, yep, you might have a degree in training in nursing and that mm. is great because that is uh, an amazing degree to have. Do yeah. you have a, a really good understanding of the gut microbiome? No. Exactly. Do you understand how probiotics act in the gut? Clearly not because yeah. anyone who says you can have a colonic every week and just throw a probiotic down your gut and not worry about what you're eating and that probiotic's going to fix everything, that is so effing yeah. wrong. So yeah, it is. That is my rant about that because <laughs> it absolutely makes me so mad yeah. that this is the advice that has been given to people having colonics. And it's just, I always think it's too dishonest. it's like it's, well that but it's also the actual <laughs> procedure for me is it's disrupting to the microbiome like you're not you're going in there and you're putting extreme pressure on the area and you're removing all of the matter that's in there mm. but you and doing that you are causing a disruption often on a weekly mm. basis within the microbiome itself. Yeah. So you may be removing that actual like built up matter mm. and that makes you feel better, but you are constantly disrupting that microbiome. Yeah. And you may be doing yourself again a disservice by that where you're not actually dealing with that problem and you might mm. actually even be exacerbating mm. the issue. So I think there's got to be a real caution around that. I don't think people yeah. have... Um, the people searching and going for the clinics, but also, as you say, the people doing the clinics don't have an understanding or an education enough to mm. understand the fundamentals of the microbiome yeah. and what they may be doing yeah. by disrupting that all the time. Yeah, I agree. And it's just like, I always just, A, when you understand how gut microbiota work and biofilms and yep. all of that, yep. yes, you're clearing all the shit out and essentially yep. people feel better, but you're not... Or maybe you are, but not for the benefit of the mm. gut, changing the micro like yeah. presentation. So you're not it's not breaking down biofilms, you're not microbially influencing how the gut performs no. for the benefit of the gut. No. Um, and then I just picture about the guys that, you know, <laughs> I have to explain this to my clients. I'm like, I have this little image of my brain of colonics of, you know, gut bacteria hanging on to like things <laughs> as they're trying to get like flushed out of the bowel wall. It's like, no. Anyway, that's just my own warped sense of humour. But yeah, like I just think 
I think they maybe serve a purpose of someone who's really constipated just to get stuff yeah. out. But underlying that extreme constipation and that toxicity and that shit bloated feeling mm. and those headaches is a dysbiotic gut yeah. and a large bowel that is not fermenting and breaking down and mm. pushing out fecal matter the way it is, is, is yeah. supposed to. And then there's the danger is the dependency that then becomes yeah. created like a laxative so yeah. on the colonic itself. So the bowel can get lazy, the muscular contractions can, can get, get lazy. lazy. And also, how do you know what's actually going on? Like, particularly as a practitioner, when I have clients that are getting colonics all mm. the time, like, it's really hard for me to mm. know what's mm. going on with their symptom picture. Mm. So how can I how can I really know how their bowels are functioning, mm. functioning normally? How can I um, put, you know, 100% faith even mm. in, like, their microbiota testing? Like, yeah. there's so many, you know unknowns when you're playing with that environment yeah. all the time and i just think too like the other thing when you were talking about with the people doing the clinics when all the stuff's obviously coming out through yeah. the tube and they're like oh we can see this like it's a microscopic area yeah. you can't see it pumping through a tube like <laughs> like you might be able to see bits of fiber or undigested yeah. food or that's you know a, a color well. presentation but literally looking at it at a glance coming through a tube yeah. that's the best you're going to get yeah exactly. like you're not seeing parasites and yeah. toxicity and i feel like it's yeah. just this big over exaggeration so yeah. that mm. lures people back in to just keep having it done anyway i feel like that's a real rant but <laughs> Okay, should I avoid cold raw foods? I used to see a TCM acupuncturist who suggested avoiding these as they were too hard for our bodies to process. Your thoughts? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> like so many things get Carissa riled up today. <laughs> I used to work with it's an. It's only ten o'clock, and I feel like I'm going to stroke out. <laughs> I used to work really closely with a beautiful acupuncturist, oh, and. We, I found nutrition and acupuncture work so well together, but when we would butt heads, it would be over this. Mm. So I would be looking at certain types of meal ideas and then the person would go in and have a session and this person would be like, okay, you need to be having more warming foods, you shouldn't be having cold foods. Mm. So we would literally barter oh. things. So I'd be like, look, this person <laughs> wants to say a smoothie in the morning. It works for them. It's where we can get in all these mm. things. So how about I get them to add just a crap load of cinnamon? Would that do it? Because cinnamon's warming. Mm. And she'd be like, yep, okay, I'm happy with that. So we'll barter yeah. it out. Yeah, but, that's fair enough. <laughs> um, but I think the concept, it's sort of about extremes, right? So there'd be some people with <laughs> diets and dietary, well, I should say gut-based issues, um, particularly when there's a lot of, again, inflammation, a lot of dysbiosis, potentially things like SIBO, where they can't at that point handle a lot of raw produce and we may dial back the intensity of the raw produce or classic IBD type conditions. I can think of some clients that I see, um, particularly around ulcerative colitis and so forth, mm -hmm. where we, when they're in more of a flare-based state, we actually have to dial down these types of foods. Mm. But as you work with these people and obviously you get the gut healthy again, it's actually a big area of priority to have beautiful raw foods in with cooked foods. Absolutely. Because raw foods are alive. Mm. <laughs> foods are dead, right? Yeah, I know. I was waiting for it. That's why I was like sniggering before. I'm just like, I'm just waiting for my opportunity to talk about live foods. <laughs> oh, so funny. So, so funny. But even the, um, yeah, should I, the, the cold versus raw, like it's kind mm. of two different things, isn't it? Like cold food as a, you know, it's like mm. a cold smoothie. 
um, a TCM person might be like, oh, well, could you make it on some like warm milk or could yeah. you like heat it a little bit and have it at, or let it sit out and have it at room temperature? Mm. There's little things like that, like with a really poor digestion may actually slightly help someone mm. um, or slightly heating your leftovers and so forth. Like it again comes down to how compromised your gut is, mm. don't you think? Yeah. Um, but the raw, the raw foods thing, like I know, like we're all passionate about it, but you like, you know, like Carissa will not, will not <laughs> pretty much eat any meal unless she's got a like lot. a big handful of her raw foods and then the so lemon. So funny because I was having this conversation with someone the other day and they are as passionate about yeah. it and they will know listening to this how they are as passionate yeah. about live food as I am. We made that connection and yeah. I was just like, Jess, it just laughs at me with my live food and now we're actually talking about it on the podcast. But it's, And she's like, yeah, but when it's cooked, it's like dead. I'm like, I know. <laughs> Look at these dead little veggies. <laughs> That's so true. Carissa and I have actually talked, we better wrap this up, we've talked really strongly about um, doing a, we'll do a podcast based on it, but swapping diets for, yeah. well, we think we'd probably do it for five days because we don't think nah. it could last longer. Just I to really highlight to you guys how we both eat really healthy, but how different, different diets suit different people. So, mm. you know, I, I, definitely don't eat anywhere near as much raw produce as Carissa does and I think it would be really interesting for you guys to sort of see the difference and how I feel on Carissa's diet and vice versa mm, but just to we, prove, yeah. we're stalling it because we don't want to do it oh, God. we're drawing the line at our drinks though because yeah. I won't drink coffee and she won't, won't drink, drink matcha. matcha yeah 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 <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> do you um, have anything else you wanted to say about that one no I feel like you summed it up perfectly sweet yeah all right well we better sign off yeah um, I think so you gotta go I just wanted to say too just with on the clinics thing too that was nothing against nurses at all when i said that because oh. i'm not sure what degree that happens i bloody love nurses and my mum's a nurse yeah. you, guys, you guys fucking rock you're like the superstars yeah they do so any <laughs> feedback you guys have um please let us know we'll put everything that we can in the show notes um and refer back to um, different blog posts and, and we'll episodes link that, we'll link that atp yeah in as well we atp will. guys yeah we'll link yeah. away as always, yeah, if you have any questions, please contact us either at the clinic on reception at jessicacox.com.au or through our social media. Mm-hmm. Um, we love seeing you guys enjoying the show, the show so please share it around. Um, we love seeing your posts on socials <laughs> yeah. or your little Insta stories. So, yeah, the more you share that, the better. And um, If you love live food as much as we do. Yes, definitely. We collective. <laughs> let me know tag me in your live food stories not your dead ones (laughs) other than that have a fantastic weekend ahead yes absolutely bye over and out